Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. Um, joining me is someone whose business I really liked, and um, we talked about it offline. And then he told me he'd rather not tell me too much about it online. <laughs> Levy Popak created a company called Overpass that I can't, dude, don't you feel like somebody else should have created this business before? Can you believe that it, it was just sitting there as an idea? Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm not really sure why nobody actually thought of this before. Uh, we started this uh, five and a half years ago uh, and out of a need that stemmed from the energy, a renewable energy company I was running at the time. I uh, actually did a, a bit of research at the time and uh, there, there wasn't a, a solution that was geared to exactly what we were doing. And I was totally surprised because we needed it. Yeah, because you know what? Here's the deal. Company. If I want to get a temp or full-time virtual assistant, there are tons of companies that do it. I've interviewed tons yeah, of them, right? Exactly. They get a developer. So it's not like to say if you want to hire remote people, it's only the administrative staff that you can get. The best of the best developers, their platforms that make them available. But when it comes to sales, there isn't a platform where you can go and say, I just want to hire a remote salesperson who's going to talk to my customers and, and help close sales or talk to my prospects and help close sales. I don't know why no one's thought about it. You did. You created this marketplace where we can go and find remote salespeople, hire them, and then also you create a software that helps us manage them. I freaking love this idea, especially since so many of us online who sell, myself included, we think of the sales page as the part that sells. The salesperson seems like it's, I don't know, it's out of our world. Anyway, you came up with it. The company's called Overpass. People can go and check it out. But as we were talking, and as I was talking to people on your team, I found out about a previous company that you created, Empower Energy, sells renewable energy. And I thought, how do you, how do you even get into that? And there was this whole process that you went through to, to doing that. I thought, how about if we talk about Empower? I want to figure out how you got into renewable energy and how you got into selling it. And by the way, maybe we can talk a little bit about Overpass, this company that you're you're not quite at the stage where you're ready for me to open you up and basically do your whole accounting the way that I like to do for my guests. Fair? <laughs> yeah, fair enough, Andrew. And uh, thank you for that. Thanks for being on here. I should say this interview is sponsored by a company called Send In Blue. If you're doing email marketing and you want to not pay through the nose, that's not their motto, Levy, but that's what I'm going to say. Great price, great service, email, and so much more. I'll talk later about why people should be going to Send In Blue. Levy, I'm going to ask you a question that you already told me you don't, you're not going to tell me the answer to, but what's the revenue for Empower? Yeah, so Empower, we, uh, we're in eight states right now. Uh, we have 12 offices. We have over 100,000 customers. We're growing steadily. We're focused 100% on renewable energy. Uh, and, um, you know, our model is, is take everything in-house, right? Uh, once you start farming things out, you just lose total control over everything. So we've been doing that from day one. It's been tough. It's been a long road. Uh, but you know, we, because we're doing that, we're able to get to a point where we can now scale rapidly. So upfront, it's going to be a lot more effort than going another route. But now we could, you know, scale it up. I'm smiling because you just dodged that question so expertly, and I've been told that you're not comfortable doing <laughs> yeah. interviews. So you've already nailed the first one. All right, you're not going to give me the revenue. You've told me offline it's freaking phenomenal. But here's what I what I don't understand. What does it mean to to sell renewable energy? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, your listeners probably don't want me to get into the complexities of all of it, but essentially uh, they're, they're the generators of renewable energy, such as solar or, or hydro or wind. You mean uh, there are people we, who already have the, the solar panels up 
they've got all the the hydro what is it called uh, the turbines yeah you, you got the turbines you got the wind you got the they hydro, got it all got up the there solar. already okay yes exactly so that that's happening out there in the world today whether you see it or yep. not so, you know so it's not on a home per se but there are these farms uh, of renewable energy and uh th that's the other side of the business right that's on the generation side okay the so they're generating it yeah you found a way to take it from them and go to local stools schools the grocery store etc right Yes, exactly. So, so you, the idea is, do that? Yeah. Yeah. So the idea is that's the generation side of the business. And then there's the intermediary of the transmission. So you're getting the, the molecules from A to B. So that's a whole nother side of the business, right? So it's the transmission and distribution, which of course the utility oversees the distribution. And then there's the retail component of it. So, so contracting with the generation using the lines, essentially the utility lines and the transmission lines, and then giving it off and selling it off to, to the end customer. Right. How do you how do you bridge that gap? What do you I could understand going to China and buying stuff that a factory makes and then selling it on Amazon or in a Shopify store, but the process of going to someone who has energy and reselling it and getting it through the cables over to to a local store, I don't get. Um, and we've talked about it, so I get a little bit more um, than I get a little bit more than I did when we first started talking. But can you walk me through this? Yeah, sure. So, so essentially, there's you know, energy is, is purchased on an hourly basis because it's constantly moving. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, as you build up your customer base, you understand how much energy you need on an hourly basis. So, off of that, you go to your counterparty and purchase said energy uh, to fulfill that obligation. Now, in terms of how it's actually transmitted and you know the all the different components and and, and how that actually is orchestrated. Um, we're going to have to sit there probably for, I don't know, good three, four five hours. But is it the type of thing that you have to care about? Because obviously what happens is it goes into the system. <laughs> energy is just, energy is just combined. We're not so tagging a, it. Do you, as yeah. the, the person who's reselling it, is it just about you having to go and pay for someone's energy, I mean, pay for the energy that's created. And then when you get a sale, exactly. somehow so book it again. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sorry for cutting you off there, but it's a lot of contracts that you put in place. So you could, you're putting contracts in, in, in with your counterparties on the generation side. You're putting your contracts in uh, with the transmission providers and distribution providers to get the, the you know again the molecules from A to B. And of course, you're putting the contracts in place you know with, with your your end user and your your consumer. Um, so again, when I first got into this, I was just like, what is that next thing I have to do yeah. in order to get my business running? So, and then when I got further into it, I'm like well, how does this actually all work? And I'm like trying to think about it holistically. So I have a better understanding of it now than I did like when I first got into it. But uh, to explain it, it is a bit complex, to be honest. But it's not about buying it from one place, physically watching as the electricity goes no, through the cables, I, right? right? It's just different agreements. <laughs> it's got fungible. It. Yeah, right. it's fungible. So you're not watching anything. It, it, it's more um, metered. So, so uh, you know, again, you, you know how much volume you, you got to bring to the endpoint. Uh, ends metered and uh, your your contracts the state the rate and and time and so on and so forth. All right, I'm with you on this, and the reason that I'm surprised and I'm being open about my like lack of understanding is because you started out that way too. You're a guy who would you grow up New York? Yeah, yeah, I, I, like, I grew up in New York. Yeah, right. Grew up in New York. Your family was, or your, I guess your dad was in real estate. You sure. went to work for my dad was in uh, manufactured women's clothing and sold them in local stores. You. You said, I'm going to go work for my dad, which I thankfully did not. For, for how many years? Yeah, so uh, I, I worked for him for six and a half years in real estate management out of Brooklyn. 
Okay. Um, and at the same time, I was in college, and yep. uh, about three years before I left uh, working for him, uh, I started uh, my master's degree in real estate uh, in NYU. Um, and uh, towards the end of that is when kind of everything matriculated and moved over to this this new world that I entered into, which is empower and getting married and so on and so forth. How did you yeah. figure, how did you, so how do you go from real estate to, to energy? How did you, what was that idea that got you started there? Yeah, great question. So I did not expect to get into energy. Uh, I expected to go into real estate. Uh, maybe not necessarily uh, in real estate, uh, residential uh, res uh, real estate management, but in real estate. Uh, that's why I went to NYU for my master's. Uh, uh, it was specifically in the real estate realm. Um, but my last year in NYU, the, the same year I, I got married to my wife, a wonderful woman, which I love and cherish very much, uh, the mother of my seven children. Um, I uh, actually was in the building, one of the buildings I was managing at the time. And I encountered a gentleman that um, was trying to pitch me energy. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It was so foreign to me. I thought maybe he would try to sell me something else, um, but he tried to you know, pitch me energy. So I was just like intrigued, asking some more questions. Uh, and essentially introduced to me this concept of energy deregulation, which opened up the monopoly that the utility had back in 1998. Okay. And so he's pitching you on it and you're saying, well, doesn't Con Ed, I guess it's Con Ed that does electricity there. Doesn't Con Ed have all of it? He explains the whole business to you. And then so, how do you decide I'm going to get into this too? Yeah, exactly. So, so Con Ed was the monopoly, Con Ed National Grid. They still uh, get the, the, you know, they deal with the distribution still. So, but they opened up the supply side so you could actually supply, you know, end users. Um, and I'm like, this, this sounds intriguing. At that time, I was also thinking about getting into something else and moving on from working in uh, real estate management. And then I'm like, how do I get into this? And it happened to be he was working for a company called Ambit Energy, which is a multi-level marketing company. Um, and uh, essentially, there's like six levels or seven levels uh, within, within, you know, within uh, Ambit in terms of like independent consultants. And uh, if you sign up a customer, then each level makes a different amount of money. Um, yeah, it's one of these situations where usually it's used to pitch things like, I don't know if Tupperware does it, but Mary Kay yeah. Cosmetics, right? Yep. I sell it. Actually, I was a Mary Kay lady. I signed up because I want to understand how they get these women to sell. It was <laughs> phenomenal, actually. I think every salesperson should go to one of these multi-level marketing places, especially something like Mary Kay, because they're so dialed in. But the way it works is I sell I sell the cosmetics. And then if I brought somebody else underneath me and they sold cosmetics, I got a percentage of their sales. And if right, they got somebody exactly. else, I got a percentage of both of their sales. Boom, boom, boom. That's how it worked for, um, for Ambit. Were you thinking, you know what? Maybe I will sell energy through Ambit and be one of these multi-level layers. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. But you I wasn't are. willing to, to, yeah, I wasn't willing to do the the you know bottom rung at five cents per customer, uh, and they were doing like different amounts for each level. So I was like, hey, what if I become all levels and I sign up a customer and I started doing the math, and it came out to a decent amount of money per customer. So I was like, okay, I'll jump into this. Um, that that's pretty much what but happened. But as part of the multi-level marketing thing. As part of that, as part of the multi-level marketing thing, exactly. Did your dad now, say, what are you doing, Levy? You're getting involved in multi-level marketing? <laughs> so he was actually to totally open. As long as I was working really, really hard, okay. then he was happy. He, he, he didn't really care about what I was doing. Because you know, in his mind, I'm just you know gaining experience. My dad's uh, the opposite. 
<laughs> like if I'm loving it, he's suspicious of it. It can't be real. What is this internet thing? Is nuts? Okay. Yeah. So oh, did sorry. You... There's one caveat to that. Yes. You can't be spending too much money. <laughs> uh, yeah, my dad has that same caveat. All right. So did you actually get into this multi? You went to the top of the chain and you said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the person who does this directly. I don't want to give, I don't want to kick up a percentage upstream. I don't want to kick up a percentage downstream or collect a percentage from the downstream. That's what you said. Yeah, so I was working in the buildings at the time, and I'm okay. thinking that could be perfect. I could, you know, knock on doors and yeah. pitch out energy to to all these, you know, the residents, residents the of residents the buildings that the you already are managing. managing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. That that was the play there, and I, and I've done other things prior to that. Uh, like so what? like you know, like um, the issues on the roofs, you know, like Direct TV. Oh, uh, oh wait, wait. Let me see if I yeah. let me see if I understand this. Since you're managing the building anyway, you get to go and pitch DirecTV to the residents in there. If you sell DirecTV to them, they get a satellite on the on the roof. You get a commission. Exactly. Got it. Tell me what else you were yeah. able to do that way. Yeah, uh, laundry rooms as well. So you know, I was in these buildings. I was like, you know, let, let's capitalize on every area possible. So uh, earlier on, it was about four years earlier, we started building out laundry rooms in the, in, in the basements of the buildings. So I got involved with a number of different things around the buildings. I saw this energy, ambient energy, and selling energy okay. within the buildings as another opportunity okay. uh, to potentially, you know, grow within and then, you know, earn a stream of revenue. Okay. Um, and and yeah, that, that's basically what right. I know this is kind of a pedestrian question. We're getting off this big business, sure. which um, I'm still a little frustrated that you're not going to tell me how, not tell the audience how big it is. You, you, it's phenomenal. Okay. But still, when you get into laundry rooms, are you renting space in the buildings that you're managing, buying the the laundry machines, putting them in there, hiring someone to go collect the quarters, fix it when they're broken? That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Except I wasn't hiring anyone because I couldn't afford to hire anyone. So I was collecting the quarters myself. Every Friday, I would have massive bags of quarters. I would go wow. to the TD bank. You know, the TD banks actually change your quarters for you for free. You yeah. have an account. I don't know if they still do that, but they were doing it back and then. And they're beautiful, or they were back when I was in New York. Yeah, yeah. So, and then at a certain point, they just uh, kicked me out. <laughs> it was too many quarters. They had to change over the machine too many times. <laughs> was it a profitable <laughs> business for you? Um, so for, for a while it was, uh, it, it, it was going well. And then what happened was I was just, um, there was a lot of vandalism because you know, if you lost it, if they lost a quarter, mm -hmm. um, and then I would have a phone number on the wall and they would call that phone number. It would be like 11 o'clock at night. If I wouldn't get there within like 10 minutes at times, they would just bust up the machine uh. <laughs> and there'll be like thousands of dollars in damage. Um, and then you would have to clean out the lint and, uh, yeah, it was it was definitely a, an amazing learning experience. I'll tell you that. Meanwhile, you're you're an MBA student and you're cleaning <laughs> out the lint. Um, but what's the learning experience in that then? Yeah, it's tremendous. I mean, I learned how to lift huge washing machines and dryers and fit them in the basements. <laughs> okay. Uh, I learned how to uh, uh, the construction around it. Right. So there's a lot of interesting construction components around it. So mm. it's like you have to vent it out. You have to like build a proper base because they shake a lot. So you want to like, you know, you actually have like bolts on the bottom with concrete base and then you have to like bolt it down. So it was pretty, it was pretty fascinating for me at least at the time. And then of course, fixing the machines, right? So I learned how to do some like basic repairs on the machines as well. Um, and, and I, I liked that. I liked the, you know, hands-on approach when I was doing it. I just didn't like the fact that I wasn't like really making money. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the big takeaway I'm getting from this is that it's, it's like, 
Well, it, it feels like what you're doing is you, you're finding a good customer base or a customer base, let's say, and you're thinking, what are the ancillary services we could provide for them? And it's the type of thing that you think about when you're in content the way that I am, right? We think about it, maybe if you're in SaaS, the way HubSpot now is thinking, what else can we sell? What else can we pile into our offering? But you don't think about it in real estate. And it's kind of interesting to start thinking that way to say, where are these pockets of customers that we don't think about as being customers that need more services? And and there's more revenue in it. Okay, was there another thing that you did? So Dish TV, you also yeah. Did. So it's, you know, I, I had contracts with Time Warner and with Cablevision and Dish Network. So you know, the, the major cable uh, cable providers and uh, you know, did the laundry room stuff. And then and then I got into energy. And then uh, uh, at that point, I, I exited work working for my dad in in, in real estate management. So multi level marketing actually worked for you? No, it actually didn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> What happened? Uh, no, so so uh, I knocked on probably about two to three thousand doors, um, signed up a lot of customers, enrolled them into the program, uh, and then over the following like three four months or so, I kind of realized that there was just a lot of loopholes uh, where I, you know I wasn't getting paid what I what I thought I would be getting paid based on the customers that I signed up, um, and, and then you know at that point. Um, I realized it wasn't really much of a future, uh, so I had to like figure out something new. So it didn't. It wasn't that long. It was, it was probably in total maybe four to six months when it, when I kind of got introduced to the to energy world right. and then got an Abbott and then kind of moved on from there. When you sold, were you knocking on doors literally and telling people about how they could buy electricity and doing the wholesale psych the whole sales process? You were. Yeah, I was doing that myself. Again, I, I couldn't really afford to hire anyone at the time. Did so. people look at you like you're like you're crazy when you said, "Can I sell you energy?" At first, some some of them did. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to you have to explain it well. You have to you have to understand exactly what it is that they're getting. What How do you explain this top this tough concept? I mean, you and I have talked now a couple of times. I I looked it up, and it's still like baffling to me that you could sell electricity. How did yeah. you explain it to them? What was your sales pitch? Yeah, so essentially, you know, you're buying energy right now from Con Edison, mm-hmm. uh, and and the, the the energy is not renewable, right? It's not 100 renewable energy. Um, and then you talk about the benefits of renewable energy and why they should to care, the environment buy, to the environment exactly. Okay. And, and meanwhile, this is more care. expensive electricity. It could be and it could not be. It really depends okay. on the territory, right? Okay. Um, so uh, so essentially, it's it's renewable energy. Talk about the benefits. Uh, and if they're open-minded to the benefits, uh, you kind of uh, then go through the bill with them, explain to them exactly what it means to them in terms of like a bill that they pay, because that's tangible. That's something that they understand. They're, they understand that they're working with, you know, it could be Con Ed or National Grid. They understand that there's a delivery component and then there's a supply component. And then this is specifically to do with the supply component. They'll be essentially purchasing the renewable energy uh, at a potentially fixed contract, right? So, so the utility doesn't do fixed contracts; they do month to month. So, one month it could be a low rate, one month it could be a high rate. And the idea is that, especially if you're you're in a climate where you know rates are really increasing, uh, then you're locking them in potentially for a year or two years or even three years. Okay. How many of these sales did you make before you said, "I think I need a different way to do so, it"? So, I did. A, I, I did about a thousand. A thousand uh, sales door to door. You personally? Sales. Yeah, yeah, close to close to a thousand. So, so I knocked on about three thousand uh, doors, and I did about thousand meters. So the way it works is each customer could have an electric meter and a gas meter. So okay. in total, the total amount of meters that I signed up personally was close to a thousand. 
dude, what is it about your sales technique that allows you to sell so much <laughs> in four months? Yeah, it, it um, I, I just, uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoy talking to people and I enjoy working hard. So, and you're knocking I, I, door to door. I'm, not, and I'm actually you. not a salesperson. <laughs> no, when we talked before, I feel like you're coming to life on camera now. Last time we talked, I felt like, oh no, this guy's got such an interesting story, but he doesn't even seem to, I don't know, doesn't doesn't have like a camera presence. This could be terrible. Now I'm talking <laughs> to you, it's like you've come to life. So what is it about your, is it just the love of sales? Is it the love of people? What is it? Um, I think it's it's work ethic. I think it's the love of working hard and seeing the results. So what was your work uh, ethic? Were you the type of person who said, I got to start off every day at seven o'clock because that's when my people are getting ready. I've got to end my day at nine o'clock because that's when they're getting ready to go to sleep. I mean, generally the way it's not even about times for me, it's more about like, if I'm not going to die, like don't stop, you know, give me, give me an example of a typical work day where you sold this many meters. Um, so my, my typical, if you're asking my schedule, I mean, my typical schedule, I'm waking up at like 6.30 in the then. morning. 6.30 yeah, back, back then. Yeah, yeah, back then I'm waking up at 6.30 in the morning. Okay. Um, you know, I'm, I'm at work by, by 7.30 uh, and I'm finishing the day somewhere around, you know, seven o'clock. But, you know, at that time I, I was involved with, you know, a few different things. So I'm, I'm in NYU, right? I'm, oh, well, actually after seven o'clock, I'm actually going to NYU, I'm going to the city, right? Because okay. that, that was my last year of, of, of school. Yep. So, and I finished there at 11 o'clock at night, but, but essentially when I'm going to work though, I, I'm involved with three different things. So I'm managing the buildings, I'm managing the laundry rooms, and then I'm selling door-to-door energy. Where does this work ethic come from? The, the, I'm going to keep on knocking on as many doors as I can do all these different businesses as a side. You don't look to me like somebody who comes from a family that was in need. You, you seem right. I'm thinking about it, frankly, with my kids. I'm about yeah. to pay more for their freaking kindergarten yeah. than, than I paid for my NYU education for any single year. What is this, right? For each individual kid. I'm wondering then what kind of work ethic is it that maybe they drive me poor and then they say, I need to build up again because I feel bad for my dad. Because where did it come from you? All jokes yeah, I think it's exactly what you're saying. Like um, it's, it's a matter of foresight, knowing that eventually I want to get married and I want to have okay. a family and I want to have a large family and a lot of kids. And I know that's really expensive. Um, and, and that was like my, my number one goal. But you're saying you worked hard before you got married in the early part of your marriage. So not so you can live up a great life, not so that the people like me could be impressed by, you don't seem to give a rat's (laughs) ass that I'm impressed, but so that you could have a family and kids yeah, pay for their school. That's the thing that motivated you. You're going to sleep, waking up, knocking on doors, wait till I have my seventh child. This is going to be great. I can't wait to close the sale so I can have an eighth or (laughs) That's what it is. Absolutely, yes, yes. Wow. I, I actually went through a lot as a teenager, so that that wasn't appealing to me. What do you mean uh, by you went through a lot? No, I, I just went through a lot. Like I like some of the stuff that people go through in their twenties and thirties, and uh, I went through when I when I was younger. What and, do you mean economic and, problems or no, no, uh, it, it just just in, in in terms of like, um, I guess you'd call it rebelling a bit, right? Ah, what's your what's yeah. your big rebelling? What's my big rebelling? Yeah, like what kind of rebelling <laughs> did you do? Yeah. Uh, so either way, um, you're not going to so tell I, me the rebelling. <laughs> you're sidestepping it. Oh, I, I, I yeah. wonder what so, it was. So, right. so further, further down the line, when I hit my early 20s, I, I came to a realization that all that is, is not real. It's not authentic. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's not something that like actually brings real joy. And what, what I really wanted was just a healthy life and a healthy family and grow my family. And I knew that was going to be expensive. Like I know tuitions are expensive. I know putting food on the table and 
the roof over the head over your head is going to be costly. And and one thing I also knew, and my father kind of drilled this in my head over time, was you got to start early. You got to start young. Like because yeah, you, you, because what happens is that you have more responsibility when you're married with kids and your options are more limited. Ah. Uh, so yeah. if you want to build something for yourself, you have to do it when you're young. I've seen people who do it later, but I absolutely agree. It's it's yes. easier younger. Imagine when you have kids, you're suddenly cleaning out lint from from vending well, from machines that people break, right? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't do it. It would be too much. I'd be getting phone calls off the hook that I have to come home to pick up the kids because yeah, that they'll go to a dental appointment or something, and like you know, it, it would be very difficult. And and not to say that I'm not there 100 percent of the time and I'm working hard right now, but it's different. It's different when you're you're grinding it out early on, and and then you try to do that when when you have all this other responsibility. It's a lot more difficult. And I came to that realization earlier on, so I just wanted to put in the, the work. I knew it was necessary. All right, let me talk about my sponsor, Salesman to Salesman. You tell me how I do this, and here's here's what I'd love to hear from you. Tell me not just Andrew, proud of you, great, right? The, tell me the type of stuff that my dad would tell me, like where I could improve. Okay. We're going to be open about it. All right. So my sponsor is a company called Send in Blue. What they do is email marketing. And here's why this matters. I didn't realize the significance of it. My friend Paul manages email marketing campaigns for multiple clients. The guy is complaining to me about how much it costs to send out email. And I go, how much could it cost? Look at MailChimp. It's insignificant compared to all these, you know, you hire a single person. It's more important. It's more expensive. He said, Andrew, did you take a look recently? I said, no. Once you hit a hundred thousand subscribers, the price gets astronomical in these services. And they're not giving you a big collection of features because they want to keep it simple to be able to appeal to lots of customers. So they cut back on the features for his clients and they start charging a lot as the clients get big. I said, why don't you switch away? He said, do you ever try to switch away? I said, no, it's really tough. So I started looking around. And I said, you know what? Email marketing companies do this all the time. They charge very little, they lock you in, and then boom, it springs up. And it's not just per email that you could email to, per person you could email. Even if someone unsubscribes or they've not done anything and you decide I'm not going to email them, if the contact is in your address book on their service, they charge you for it, right? How insulting is that? And you're not going to delete them because you want to know if they ever come back 10 years from now, what happened? So Send in Blue says, we're going to be upfront. We're going to start charging reasonable prices. And we're going to continue the reasonable prices through the end. And you could see their prices are incredibly reasonable throughout. And they're going to add marketing automation. So if somebody takes an action like purchases or takes an interest by clicking on a certain type of email, you could follow up with them based on their purchase or based on their interest with further emails that are just targeted towards that. And it's not hard to do. And if you want to do SMS, they do that. You want to do live chat on their site, they have that too. So you can reach people multiple multiple ways. And they decided that they're going to offer it. And they said, we want more people to know about it. They came to me. And so I'm going to actually give people an even better deal than they have on their site, which is go use it for free. Go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy, and you could use their email marketing software for free. And if you don't know who they are, these guys raised over $197 million. Incredibly successful company. Companies like BlackRock are behind them. Here it is, sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. You will be one of the first people to use them. And then you're going to be the evangelist. That's why they're hiring me so that I can convert people who then won't shut up about how great they are and everyone else was going to be happy. Paul signs up. Everyone else here is going to sign up too. Lavi, go ahead. Lavi, what do you think? Yeah, so it's interesting you're mentioning this because just yesterday, I, I blasted out an email for a webinar that we just ran earlier today. Okay. 
uh, to, to all our, uh, our entire client base. You know, it, it was a great webinar. I thought it would be really valuable. And I actually subscribed to, to HubSpot. Uh -huh. um, what was it? Two months ago. Paid them a lot of money. Yep. A lot of money. After, was it late last night? I'm checking my emails and I see an email that it automatically increased my subscription for a <laughs> full year for $22,000. Oh, wait, wait. Yeah. Whoa. So, so it, it, was, it wasn't you know, zero to 22,000, but they automatically increased, increased me yep. from 18,000 to 22,000. Now I love HubSpot. I think it's great to a certain yep. extent on the sales side, Yep. but wow. Yep. Come on. And, and we know that it doesn't cost that much to store an email address. It doesn't cost that much to send out email. I have entrepreneurs on here to talk about the pricing from, from Amazon's uh, services and others. It's not expensive. Yeah. And, and you know what? If they if they reached out and asked me if I want to increase my subscription, I would be totally fine with that. You know, maybe, maybe not. But but in either case, I would appreciate the fact that they reached out. But to automatically get an, an increased email because at one time, yes. we sent out an email blast larger than we generally would send out they automatically increase our subscription for a full year. For me, I've been with email marketing for 12 years now through Mixergy. The email list got big. They finally persuaded me, all right, just delete the contacts. And in a fit of frustration, I said, okay, just delete the old contacts. But I feel bad about it. No, we exported yeah. them into a Google Drive. I yeah. encrypted it. It's just a big, all right. Cool. I'm glad actually that uh, that, that resonated. Yeah, totally. You know what I did but actually? I understand the concern there uh, in terms of like shifting over from, from what you currently utilize into to a new platform. Yes. Uh, the, it, the, I have to admit that if somebody yeah. is with a different platform, they have to be really frustrated to sure. switch. It's easier than it seems, but I get it. If someone's starting out, it's a no brainer to say, let me think a little bit ahead. And the only, the only hesitation I could see with this is they might say, I didn't hear them advertise on NPR. I heard this other company on NPR. So who knows? That's why I wanted to say they raised well over $100 million from uh, big companies, $197.7 million from BlackRock and others. Okay. All right. So you're now doing this and there are two big changes in your energy approach that happened. Number one, you said, I'm not going to do it as this as part of um, the multi-level marketing company. And number two, you decided you were going to go commercial. Well, no, actually what happened there was that I was working for another company at the time. What do you and, mean? And uh, I mean, Ambit Energy was was, an, was another company, right? Oh, right. You were reselling. You weren't an employee of theirs. I was really, yeah, I was essentially an independent contractor of right. theirs, um, and which I subscribed and realized that that wasn't working out for me. So at that point, um, I, I, I kind of had to figure something out. What's my next step there? Uh, so it was either getting back into the real estate management or figuring out something else. Um, so uh, I decided that I wanted to create my own energy company. I love the idea. I love the concept. Everyone needs energy. It's great in a, in a great, good economy, bad economy. It works yeah. well. Um, you know, it, it, it's something that I think is the future and it is the future. Um, and so, so I was like, how do I get into this myself? That, that's kind of what, what I was holding at that point. Uh, okay. Sitting down, I was actually sitting in uh, Long Island, my brother's house. Uh, and I was uh, just went on Google, uh, typed in, how do I create an energy supply company? literally. And uh, there was two lawyers in, in the entire New York state that actually forms uh, energy companies and uh, works with all the licensing aspects of it. And it happened to be that one of those lawyers was literally one block away from where I was sitting at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so you, you set up an appointment to talk to this lawyer and you said, yeah. but this is one of the things that I love about you and this story, frankly, it's that 
you're not coming at this from a background in energy. You're just a guy who found a startup opportunity. You went down the wrong path with it at first, one that didn't work out, and you just adjusted and you figured it out. It feels like energy is so out of reach, if that makes sense to you. I'm yeah, not sure totally. it does. Right? Yeah, okay. It, it, it does. And uh, you know, I was coming from a real estate management background and laundry room background. Everything was super physical and super heavy. And, and I also saw energy as an opportunity to you know, carry less heavy things. Uh, so um, it, it just something that really appealed to me for, for, for many reasons. And I knew nothing about energy or the industry as a whole, but uh, I was excited about it and I wanted to jump in. So they set up the energy company for you. And then you, I guess, do you figure out how to source energy yourself before you even form the company? I assume you do. So you know what the prices are going to be or not. No, no, it doesn't really work like that. I mean, essentially, there's a, there's a uh, it's called an ISO, independent system operator, as a marketplace for all energy transactions in, in the state, uh, unless you do a bilateral agreement. So you, unless you're purchasing energy directly from like a direct or a shell. Uh, right. But essentially, I wasn't even thinking about any of that stuff. I was just thinking like, let's let's get to the point of being able to sell something okay. to someone. That, okay. that, that's where that, that's where my mindset was, and and I, I sat with the attorney. I'm like, what? Like, what are the things that I have to do? And he kind of laid it out for me. Um, it was like, uh, it was a year, year and a half, it was a year and a quarter process. Um, obviously wow. you got to cost some money, you get everything set up, but that's just to get licensed and set up to be able to actually sell energy in the state. What are we talking about? The range of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands to do hundreds, it? Hundreds, hundreds. Hundreds of thousands to set yep. this up. So. Yep. What's the opportunity that you saw that was that you were willing to go through that a, over a year of sitting on your hands? And not um, I, I saw it as a big thing, honestly. Like, like I mean, you probably you know see it as a big thing too, right? It's like you know, selling energy. Like, it, it, it's a pretty big deal. It's bigger than let's say, I don't know, having a candy store, right? You know, um, it, it was a big concept. It was a big effort. And, I, and at that point in my life, I, was, I wanted to take on something big and I wanted to take on something that, that was exciting to me. And I didn't really care what was going to happen like down the line or like what that process was. I was willing to go through it. Okay. All right. I'm with you on this. And, and frankly, the logic of it's a recurring revenue business model, right? Sure. Where yeah. everyone needs it. You feel good because it's renewable energy. It feels like it's the future. Got it. Um, and the fact that it's difficult means not every kid who's getting into Y Combinator is going to come at you with a nicer looking designed website and compete with you. It takes a lot more effort than that. All right. You get into it for over a year. You don't sell. Yeah. So, so for a year and change, I, I, I did not sell. Uh, again, I was still busy with a lot of other things. Okay. Um, and, and then eventually got to the point of being able to actually sell energy and, and, and still thinking about, okay, now who am I going to sell this energy to? Uh-huh. Right. Uh, so I, I finally got to that point and the go-to was, you know, personal contacts myself and, and, and my family and contacts within the real estate industry. Uh, so, so that, that's what I did. So I, I literally knocked on their doors and asked for, uh, you know, a time to sit down, an appointment and uh, sat with them. And uh, that, that's how I got my start. And so you're, you're selling door to door again to, is it still residential or at some no, point so- you switch to commercial? Right. So at this point, it's commercial uh, as primarily landlords for the common space. So you're looking at hallways, elevators, boiler rooms, you know, basements um, and, and it's power and gas. Right. So it's natural gas and it's electricity as well. OK. 
Um, and, and so what I what I started doing is reaching out to the landlords, and then from there, some of the schools within the neighborhood and other neighborhoods as well. Uh, and then from there, some of the grocery stores and laundromats. And uh, obviously, I didn't really have many connections within the grocery store, the laundromats, or even the schools. Some schools I did, but most of them I didn't. And at that point, I was just knocking knocking on doors and asking for uh, for a sit down. Is your dad's name Moshe? No, actually, my, my, bro- my brother's name is Moshe. Yeah. Oh, wow. Your brother also is like a pretty charismatic looking guy. And I guess when he buys a place in, oh, I don't know if this is too personal. You're going to hate that I'm bringing this up. His house, when he buys and sells it, is like big news. And there's like a big smiling photo of him in front of this place. Is yeah. there a competition between the two of you? Like, oh, who's, it's, who's gonna, it's There a is. Great question. No, there actually isn't. Um, essentially, we, we were probably closest from, from all our brothers because we're closest in age. Uh, and he, he's awesome. He, I love him very much. He's a great brother. And honestly, like when, when I go through hard times, I reach out to him and ask for his advice. And uh, once in a while, he'll do the same, not as often. Uh, <laughs> and we have a great relationship. Also, you know what it is? I actually didn't think it was the right one because in every in every photo, it looks like he's just found, it looks like he's a televangelist. He's got the televangelist smile in the sense that he just fell off his horse and discovered religion. You know what? Look at this. Tell me if this is him. I got to see this. Look at this. Is that him? That's him. Right? Doesn't it look like he just discovered the meaning of life? Yeah. No, you don't think that. I, no, that he's, he's generally very happy. Very happy. Smiling. All right. All right. So how do you continue? At some point, you realize, I need salespeople. That's what led to Overpass, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. So you know, I did it myself for a while. And then at a certain point, you actually have to scale this thing out. Okay. Um, so when it came to scaling, I realized that you know, I'm not going to be doing it myself. Um, and then uh, in addition to that, I came to the realization that uh, commercial or B2B is not the, the way to scale, at least initially. Primarily because it was it was pretty difficult getting to the decision makers. Pretty difficult getting to in commercial real estate. In, in commercial, uh, in real estate, or in the you know the grocery chains, or you know the schools. It was, it was pretty difficult. I mean, I, I went through it personally, and I realized that um, it's probably not the best best path to take if you want to okay. scale this out. And and I thought uh, you know residences would love the opportunity to to go renewable. Not everyone, of course, but the people that uh, realize the benefit of renewable energy and of long term fixed contracts. Um, so uh, what what I set out to do was build a well-oiled machine uh, to to uh, grow awareness and sell around the B2C space. What's the sales process that you created? Uh, so it, it was very tedious and difficult initially. It's it's harder than selling the businesses because you know, there there are so many nuanced factors when it, when it comes to selling and scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to get all of them right in order to, to be really effective. So that's something that we kind of learned as we, as we grew the team and as we okay. you know, grew, the, grew the effort. Uh, but I will say this, that from the beginning, uh, we made a decision to do it fully in-house uh, because to us, it was super, super important to control the messaging and, and the messaging around awareness and around renewable energy and for it to be fully authentic. You, uh, and, and, and of course, you know, the process as well, so they'd be 100% compliant. What's the sales process? Is it their salespeople who knock on doors and say, can I see your bill? I want to show you how we could reduce your, your, your bill. Is that it? Or what is it? 
Yeah, so so it's it's people knocking on doors, right? So you're not on the phone. You're you're, you're actually going out into the field. Uh, at times you're going to be making appointments. At times you're not going to have appointments, and you're gonna and you're gonna knock on a person's door, and you're gonna introduce yourself, and you're gonna uh, talk about the value of going renewable and the value of price protection. Uh, and at that point, and you go through the presentation. Uh, the customer wants to sign up. You go through third-party verification that they, they sign up. Uh, they get uh, all their uh, terms and conditions on the spot, and uh, and then you stay in touch with the customer over the period of their contract. How do you manage what somebody says when they're going to the door? If they're doing it over the phone, their systems now record the call. You can tr- you can have auto- um, artificial intelligence analyze it and all that. But when there's someone just knocking on the door, they could say anything. They could say, hey, I come from your energy company and I wanted to look at your bill so we can lock in a new COVID rate or whatever it is, right? And they close sales and they make their commission. How, how can you watch that? How can you improve it? That's exactly why we wanted to keep it in-house and, and, and not farm it out to a third-party direct marketing company mm-hmm. is because it was so important that we build technology or subscribe to technology around uh, ensuring that they're saying the right things and doing the right things at the door. Um, and and uh, initially we were working off paper uh, and it was a mess. Uh, excuse me. And then over time, uh, we actually adopted iPads and then we subscribed to the right technology to, to be able to, to have full control and over all the compliance uh, requirements that we had in place and to ensure that mm-hmm. the message was, was done properly. My friend Sampar is a jeans nerd, he says. He comes over to the house, he looks at the jeans I'm wearing and he could identify it and talk about it. I'm more of like a systems nerd. Is there some part of the system that you're especially proud of that a systems nerd like me would go, oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta learn from that. From your um, I, I would say it's probably the promotional structure. What do you mean? Um, in order to build a direct marketing company, first of all, um, you, you wanna invest into them the same way they're investing into you. So every single one of our salespeople um, are, 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 just, are is essentially tapped into the culture in a way that they know they're gonna grow through the ranks and through a promotional structure that they could eventually earn six figures and they can run their own office. Um, wow. so, so, so the idea is that um, they're, they're making, you know, not just you know, on the sale, but, but they're, making a few, uh, they're, they're building up a future for themselves as well. Okay, so it's not so much the what happens now, but it's if you do well, where's the leveling up period? That's that's a key element that's not obvious when I'm looking at the system. Yeah, it's important in sales. You know, it's important to 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 know that you're going to get a return on an instant return on the the action I'm taking at, at this particular moment, but also I'm building something uh, up for the future as well. And so you have to keep thinking, what is it that we're building for them? And it's how do they get to manage their own office, their own team? Yeah, own... in this instance is how am I going to get to manage my own office? And another instance is how do I build up my profile, right? So, so the next person that might want to hire me can, can see my track record and see my experience and see, see uh, all my accomplishments. And that's what we do at Overpass. That's part of you know, the, the marketplace, the building of the marketplace is that if a contractor takes a job with the client, they don't just focus, it's not just about that one job, it's about building up their profile within the sales realm. So that way clients in the future uh, can see what they've actually accomplished and not just what other clients state that they accomplish. And to me, that's that's huge. All right, so you still own Empower, right? Yep. Um, it's still listed on your LinkedIn pro- profile as a current 
uh, position that you're the founder and CEO, you decide I'm getting into software and marketplace with Overpass. It still doesn't seem like an obvious transition to say, you know what, I can't find people offline. I'm going to go create this online thing. Yeah. Um, so, so we've done a, a lot of different um, efforts in terms of sales, right? So that was door-to-door sales. We've also uh, banged our heads against the wall trying to figure out our inside sales approach. Uh, and, you know, it, it's sales, it's, it's retention, it's, you know, it wasn't just about sales with Empower. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of different customer engagement types of campaigns. But, you know, we've tried hiring in-house. We've tried, you know, going with the nearshore option, with the offshore option. Uh, when, when it came to like farming it out, to, you know, it was just, it was tons of fraud within that space and it, it was not working. And you when mean it came when to farming out your sales back at Empower? Farming it out, or uh-huh. near shore, offshore call centers. It was just yeah. tons, of, tons of fraud. It was riddled with fraud and, and not just that, it, it was expensive. It, it was very hard to control and track. Um, and then of course, you know, building out in, internally, it, it was, we were limited. We're limited in terms of talent and the types of talent uh, that we could potentially hire and, and develop over time. Okay. So you decide then, I have this problem. I think we could solve it. I'm taking a look at the very first version of your site at Overpass. So, so now Empower is continuing. We're going we're gonna to move on from there to, over, yep. uh, to Overpass to talk about how you did that. I'm looking at the first version of Overpass that I can find on Internet Archive. It says, our vision is to enhance customer engagement by streamlining dated business functions for organizations. We're in stealth mode, though. Keep us bookmarked. What is that? That seems different from what you're doing now. What was the original vision? So, so the original vision was everything customer engagement. Ah, so, so customer support person, I shouldn't have to go and look for someone. You'll just do that for me. Got it. Okay. Correct. correct. It's, it's everything customer engagement. So it's retention, it's billing, it's collections, it's third-party verifications, political polling, fundraising, sales. Uh, and and uh, th- that's what we originally set out to do. And, you know, as I got further into it, I came to realize that, you know, you really have to focus on one thing and okay. do it extremely, extremely well. And then you can grow in, in, into others. Okay. And so the thing that you picked was sales. Yeah. So sales was the obvious choice because it was the most difficult option uh, of, of every type of customer engagement. <laughs> so generally you want to go down the, the toughest path. Um, and, and it's because sales has the highest turnover. Sales is it's the hardest uh, form of customer engagement to find really great niche specialized talent uh, in, in customer service. You know, it's tough, but you know, you, you could do it. You could get it done. And also sales is the type of thing that if it's working and you have two people, then you want three. If you have three, mm. then you want five. You want five, you want 10. Right. Uh, customer, customer support, service, you don't need five. not so much the case. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is in so many ways. This is such a great idea. It makes so much freaking sense. So here's here's where. Tell me if I'm understanding the opportunity for someone like me. Every once in a while, I'll sell something new to my audience. It'll cost something like a thousand, two thousand dollars, right? At that price, I feel like people should get to talk to a human being. And often, I end up being that person. Sometimes it's it's someone else on my team who's not designed to do sales who gets on a call. All we think about is how do we add more content to the site, another video, another this, another that. I've interviewed entrepreneurs who have sales teams, but it's still baffling to me having done these interviews to figure out how to create a sales team that can that can close sales, represent the product well, not be big pains, you know, 
And, and sometimes people will tell me, well, I had a friend who has this whole sales, like the whole sales infrastructure. And I just tapped into that. And that makes sense. It feels to me like someone like me would go to overpass, say, I need to hire someone. Here's our product here. Are the 50 questions that our customers might have, give me any extra ones that you might get that I don't know. And we'll solve it and give them a commission if they could close a sale right there on the call. Right. Yeah. The only difference to that is that it's a direct relationship, right? So you're not outsourcing it to overpass and overpass has, has these right. people that No, no, I, I, you just finding yeah. me a person who can do sales, do it remotely. But unlike me going into Craigslist and searching or going into one of the generic marketplaces and searching, if, do I understand right that there's some kind of vetting process? There's some, right? I could tell yeah. that they so, haven't so skipped it's not, down It's not just people. about vetting because we, we, of course we vet and we only uh, bring contractors onto the platform that have sales experience. Um, and there's other aspects of the vetting processes as well. But because it's only sales, all of the, um, the intricacies of, of diving in and targeting into the, the specific salesperson that you want and you want to hire um, is geared towards sales, right? If you're, if you're looking for, let's say, you know, a, a developer or, mm-hmm. a, or a copywriter and think about all the different filters, the drop downs of the types of things you'd be looking for around a developer or a copywriter, yes. that would be very different Yes. Then if you were looking for a salesperson. Right. You get what and I'm so saying? What are they, yeah. So then what are they for you? And, and by the way, when you say, of course, we vet, a lot of the other platforms that do um, freelancers, they're not vetting their, their people in any way. It's just everyone lists and there's some kind of feedback mechanism afterwards. And right. What is the thing? What do you do in the to do to? Well, you know, before we get into where you are today. Walk me through how you got to this. The first version of the business, was it we're going to be a marketplace or we're going to do software? No, the first version of the business was marketplace. That was, that was always the idea. Marketplace, we're going to hire, we're going to find the right salespeople. We're going to have them on here and we then going to go to businesses that need to hire salespeople. Yeah. The, the, the key difference and, and the original from the original vision from what the, you know, the existing marketplaces out there is if you look at, let's say a freelancer or Upwork, um, you know, their, their primary focus is for developers and designers and copywriters. And if you think about it, the type of work that they're doing is, is clicks and mass movements on the screen. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and what Upwork did was, it was you know, we're, we're going to provide accountability and transparency by monitoring and recording the, these, these screen movements, right, or, or, or clicks. And, and uh, what, I came, what was epiphany for me was that doesn't help me when it comes to communication workers. Right, most of the work is not done in that way. It's done. It's done through engagement. So, so the so accountability and transparency is so important when you're hiring a remote person. But the what our goal is is to provide that through monitoring the actual communication and the sales activities. Ah, so you said we're going to create a marketplace just like they do. And just like they are monitoring clicks, we need to have some similar accountability. It's not going to be clicks because that doesn't make sense for a sales call. But whatever it is, is going to need us to create our own software. And by the way, I don't think it was Upwork that did it. I think it was it, Upwork was a merger of Odesk and Elance. Elance, I think, was not doing any kind of screen tracking. I could be wrong. Odesk was known for doing the screen tracking. And you then said, we should be doing something similar so that Okay, so now that requires you to create your own software. And that's why even the first landing page that said we're in stealth said, if you're a developer, you describe the type you're looking for, contact us. You wanted to build it from scratch. Okay. 
the yeah, exactly. So we're building the marketplace, but and the marketplace alone will just get you the the remote salespeople. Uh, so it's a matter of bringing in all the tools to actually uh, for, okay. for the salesperson to do the work, and through that create that level of accountability and transparency that clients need in order to hire these remote salespeople. All right. So how do you get the salespeople? How did you in the beginning get the salespeople on your marketplace? Um, there's a number of different uh, campaigns and marketing efforts that we have out to bring on the right salespeople. Uh, but we, what we came to realize over in the last couple of years, it's, you know, you, you, lots of people are looking for work all over the world. It's a matter of tapping into the right sources to get the right people on board. Uh, so that way also internally, we're not spending tons of time vetting the wrong types of people. Let's be more specific. Uh, what, what worked or what didn't work for finding the salespeople on the platform? Sure. Um, so, so it's a matter, it's not necessarily a channel that works and doesn't work because uh, I feel like AdWords works very well. Um, and, and Facebook, maybe not as well to get the quality that you want, but it's a matter of all the different pieces that you put in place along their path from, okay. from clicking into getting into the product. Right. Um, and then ensuring that they're, they're vet, vettable, right. That you could actually vet this person. It's worthwhile vetting this person. Uh, because you're getting so, so many applications, the exactly. thing that you want to do is not waste time on the wrong ones and filter well, the right ones out. Oh, okay. Essentially, it's, it's qualifying them out, but but doing so in, in, in a way that also doesn't turn them off because you want to keep a good reputation as a, as a company. Okay. And so then what are some of the filters that helped you do that? Right. So so essentially, it's, it's a number of processes that we put in place in order to filter them out. Can you say what um, one of them are, or is this uh, proprietary? I mean, uh, honestly, the the, the uh, big primary one is if you have sales experience. Okay. You know, I mean, I, I, because it's purely sales platform, we, we don't want contractors to come onto the platform that that don't have sales. Another one is the type of experience that they've had in the past. Now, obviously, that, that doesn't always uh, filter out properly in terms of like the the answers that are input uh, as as they go through the flow that we've created. But um, it, it, and and of course, we're trying to improve on this in terms of like improving our sources and creating more awareness around the right types of contractors that we want. But what's really amazing and, and, and what we realized, and we actually just launched this feature, which is um, expats, right? So yeah, you have these amazing, talented contractors in other countries that grew up here in the US, the native speakers, uh, that their cost of living is, is way down. And they'll be, and they wanna work for a rate that you would never be able to get here in the US. Yeah. I'm looking at your site and I see on the homepage, there's someone here, real estate experience for one year, $13 an hour, another person health and wellness for 14 years. Um, I think this is a person in South Africa, $10 an hour. It's that plus commission that they tend to pay, right? Yeah. And sales, you always want to pay a component of commission. Okay. And so I'm getting now the idea of how this works. Can you tell me something about how you ended up getting customers to hire them? Yeah, clients, sure. Um, so, so essentially, uh, a, a very similar type of efforts. Uh, we started out around uh, the, the, the various, you know, AdWords and and uh, uh, Facebook uh, type platforms, um, and and we kind of grew. Uh, we're still working with those uh, the different types of marketing platforms out there, but uh, we're we're growing more into other types of things right now. Uh, creating more awareness around the brand. Uh, and it, it's really actually working much better for us uh, just because we're able to tap into the right type of client. Because if we bring on uh, clients that in their own right are not going to be successful, it's not going to be helping them or helping us. 
So it's a matter of tapping into clients that actually care about their success and are set up for success. They may, they, maybe they have a sales manager in place. Maybe they're working with warm leads that they want to actually still utilize a salesperson to close those leads. Uh, those, and they have a decent budget. They're looking to build something long-term and willing to optimize as well. So, that, so those are the types of clientele that we want. And that, the, that type of client, client doesn't, is not so convertible on the conventional methods. You know, I'm about to talk to another uh, entrepreneur who thought, he said one of the big epiphanies that he had was to use to bring salespeople on because he found that people were, customers were using his software, trialing it, and then not touching it afterwards. And they just said, ah, we screwed up, or it's not the right customer for us. And once he hired salespeople in to call up people who are, I guess that's more customer success, to call up people who signed up for his software and help them use it well and respond to them. Then he got an understanding of where people, uh, where his clients struggled, what he could do to improve the software, and he closed more sales. Is that the type of thing that I would use Overpass for? Absolutely. I wouldn't say that's even customer success because even our salespeople, they're consultants. They help our clients with their business. And that's another huge differentiator for Overpass. Our account executives, and by the way, they're all Overpass account executives that we hired from our own marketplace. And, and, and they work with our clients to, to help them create strategy and build their business, build a sales arm for their business. And, and I have, you know, this one guy, Dennis, he tells me that he gets calls literally like 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night uh, from some of his clients uh, asking for some, some, some issue or asking to help them out with some issue that they're facing within their business. And he helps them. He's there for them. That is what and, a good and- salesperson does. Sticks around afterwards. All right. I get how this works. So I, I I freaking love over. I can't believe that nobody else did this. You know who I think would should have done it? I can't think of his name right now. The founder of Freelancer. He's telling me he's buying all these different these different marketplaces. He's got one where you can buy and sell horses. I can't believe he didn't, he didn't even jump on this one. Yeah. I mean, uh, honestly, we're, we're not looking to raise capital right now. I, I get hit up probably about three, four times a week. Uh, from, from VCs wanting to give us money. Uh, but that's not what we're looking for at this point. I bet. Right now we're, we're looking to just provide tremendous value from our clients to our clients. I would invest if so many people who like who come to do interviews here are doing it because they're basically getting ready to to raise money. And it's it makes sense. I was hoping you're in that situation, but you're kind of reluctant to be here. I appreciate you being on here. I feel like um, uh, this has been even better conversation than we had offline. I could see from this why you'd be a good salesperson. <laughs> well, I definitely appreciate it, Andrew. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks for being on here. Uh, the website is overpass.com. That cost you over $100,000 to get? That it, domain? It was, pri- it was pricey. It wasn't okay. that high. Though. Oh, it wasn't that high. All right. It's a great domain. Overpass.com. I want to thank the sponsors who made this interview happen. If you need email marketing that does everything, like all the, all the things, Go check out sendinblue.com slash Mixergy and you can do all the things for free. And I mean like things like SMS, like uh, marketing automation, and and you won't get hit with these random jumps in in the price. Really, sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. Do your homework, include them when you're considering another software email provider. All right, thank you so much for doing this interview. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks.